0: In this, the first ever episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses the first four Marillion albums. Joe Beauclair and welcome to Progressive Palaver. This is a podcast with me and several of my very good friends designed to discuss the seminal progressive rock albums and some of those who we just want to talk about. The idea for Progressive Palaver um, actually originated many, many years ago. Um, the gentlemen joining me are Paul Zotter, Ken Gregory, and Tom Corcoran and hopefully we'll have other guest stars as well and the four of us have known each other for over 30 years at this point and we have spent a lot of time discussing music throughout the years and what really started all of this was in 2000 back in the good old days before there was all the social media and whatnot we'd actually started a very detailed email conversation on the Marillion albums and as I discovered podcasts and found I really enjoyed them and one of the things I really liked most about podcasts was those podcasts where there were friends people who knew each other very well discussing subjects that I found interesting and As I thought about the sort of podcast that I liked, I realized that, you know, these were the same sorts of conversations that my friends and I had been having for many, many years and had had specifically on the Marillion albums, you know, almost 20 years ago at this point. And so I reached out to my friends and I I pitched the idea and they all agreed. And so... What you have here is the first episode of Progressive Palaver, and hopefully you will find it interesting. Now as things usually go when you start out a new endeavor, things don't always go perfectly. And so there is a disclaimer on the first several episodes of this podcast where we had some technical difficulties. Quite frankly, we didn't um, have the the means of recording worked out, and so there are some, you know, tonal shortcomings that may be unbearable, or they may be bearable. I'm not exactly certain. Hopefully, you'll find the conversation interesting enough um, to either stay with it or wait until about episode five. <laughs> I believe it is, um, and by that point we had had everything sort of ironed out. And so, if you like what we talk about, then but you can't handle some of the uh, some of the quality issues that are in the first episodes, just skip ahead to episode five, and um, I think you'll find it's much much better. Now we had started out this podcast talking about Marillion and the reason for that was twofold one um all of us like marillion very much we've all seen marillion um, many many times um we have gone to marillion weekends and so it it seemed like a, a very good place to start as well as we had already had sort of the email conversation back around 2000 and so we had we had sort of a starting point. There was there was familiarity with this type of, of conversation. And so that's why we started with Marillion. Now, the idea behind the podcast, in terms of its structure, is that we do not necessarily um, in the case of Marillion, we did, but in other cases, we're not necessarily planning on going through every album um, by a particular group. Um, if there are some that we feel you know, aren't particularly interesting, or we don't want to talk about them, um, we feel free to skip them over. But generally speaking, we're setting this up um, so that we will cover the greater part of an artist's catalog before we move on to the next. The initially ambitious schedule had us covering four albums at a time, and as you will see, the episodes unfold. Sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we have a lot of things to say, and so, for instance, I believe episode three actually covers three separate episodes because we couldn't stop talking about it. And um, I, you know, I, I, I think that's actually a, a really fantastic aspect of it, though. Um, and so we've sort of let this thing go naturally. And so I've talked about, you know, the name of the uh, podcast is Progressive Palaver. I've talked about it. And so we're, we're focusing mainly on, you know, some of the, the more famous progressive bands throughout, um, throughout rock and roll. So we're starting with Marillion. We will deal with Yes. Um, we're going to talk about King's X, obviously Pink Floyd, um, Genesis, Rush, we will get to Kansas eventually. And the interesting thing about progressive music, as you can well imagine, is once you get into, you know, one band, it inevitably leads to others. And, you know, with the way that the bands change personnel and everything else. So once you start talking about Marillion, you almost have to then talk about Fish, And if you're talking about Genesis, you have to consider Peter Gabriel. And so, we have a lot of ground to cover. And the hope is we will also have special episodes every now and again as ideas pop into our head. And um, as you listen to the podcast, you'll see these ideas sort of organically appear. And um, so that's sort of the plan. We have a schedule that will keep us going for a very, very long time. And, you know, this is something that we're doing because we enjoy doing it. It's, it's fun for us to get together and talk about these albums and compare opinions. And we hope that you, the listening audience, will enjoy it as well and come along for the journey. So that's our hope. We are available on social media. We have a Facebook page, Progressive Palaver. We have an Instagram um, as well also progressive palaver and we do have an email if there's something you know that you hear that you agree with don't agree with um you know any comments you might want to have um that is prog p-r-o-g-p-a-l-a at gmail.com and the idea is as we release these episodes if we get emails um you know, that are pertinent, we will, you know, address the emails in a short segment at the beginning of of the next or a subsequent podcast episode. Um, This should be available at this point on, um, for both iTunes and whatever the Android equivalent is. Um, I'll have to figure out what that is, but you'll, uh, if you're listening to it, you've already done so. So, that being said, in this first episode, I am joined um, by all four gentlemen um, at various times. And, um, yeah, we will start in with the first four Marillion albums. And I hope you enjoy, and we'll talk to you on the other side. So, uh, you know, I'm glad that, that we're all here tonight. And so, you know, the, the idea for all of this started out from me reviewing the email stream from the, the late 90s or whenever, early 2000s, whatever the hell it was, where we were working through the Marillion albums and I thought, you know, what, what a perfect place to start. And so, you know, again, the way it works out, you know, the first four Marillion, Marillion albums, Um, you know, having fish in there seemed like a perfect little set. So we have, uh, 1983's script for a Jester's Tear, which was produced by Nick Tauber. And then 1984's Fugazi. Um, 1985's Misplaced Childhood and finishing up with 1987's Clutching at Straws. So that that will be our, uh our fodder for this evening. So I will throw the floor open for, uh, you know, we can start with script and kind of go through from there. Gentlemen, thoughts?
1: Well, the, the first thing that I want to throw out there are the drums. <laughs> now, I can, tell you, I can tell you that I have, I don't think I've listened to script or Fugazi in maybe, oh, 15 years. So it was, it was a lot of fun going back and listening to, to these early ones. But the drum sound on script struck me as just awful now. <laughs> I, mean, I, suppose, I suppose back in the day, it was, it was perfect for, for what was happening. But I can honestly tell you it was until this past weekend... I had no idea that this cat Mick Pointer was the drummer for <laughs> script for a Justice <laughs> <Tier>. No idea. <laughs> no idea.
0: I had right?
1: I'd never never realized that. So I
0: didn't know that until the second. Well and, and <laughs> so 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 that's that's actually really important because of these four albums, Mick Pointer is the only lineup change in in the four of them. So he was, I want to say he, he left the band shortly after they recorded this, um, even before they were touring for it. Um, but, but he's the only one who fundamentally had changed. Although, as I was reading, and I, I probably should have brushed up on more of this, I want to say Mark Kelly joined the band shortly before they started recording this. So he wasn't actually in the band all that long when they did it. but. You know, it's funny you should bring up the, the drums because, you know, one of the things that I can't listen to script and not hear is the the snare bleeding through on everything in the drums, which oh <laughs> which, which reminds me of, you know, back in the day when you guys were in the studio, we had I, I one of the sessions, I don't remember which one, but there was this whole big, you know, ordeal around snare bleed through and how we were going to gate it and this, that, and the other thing, I think it was the very first time you guys were in there when we had had the thing, but that just kind of, it's one of those things where once you realize it's there, you literally can't stop, you know, looking, or hearing it or whatever. But, and it was funny cause I was, one of the things that struck me about this album was while it is a very immature album, a lot of the the aspects of Marillion were already there, which I thought was, was kind of shocking when I went back and listened to it sort of with this in mind.
2: Uh, Pete's execution is very punchy, and he's known for his punchy bass execution. But on this, it was punchy to the point of, like, I didn't know if it was like trying to be some kind of kraut rock or something. It was a little too predictable. You know what I mean? Crowd it's like a, a machine. It, yeah. It was, it was like, it was like some of that kind of like really intentionally human techno before it was a thing. And, you know, I think maybe it was because they were so new at this and because probably whatever synergy there was between Pete and Mick pointer, was just kind of balls to the walls all the time. So even though many of the aspects of Marillion were already there, dynamics had not been discovered. Right. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah.
0: And and, and, exactly. and I, I think, you know, that's certainly a, a, a valid statement, but I mean, like I said, it they were young. They didn't even know what it was they were doing. But, I, you know, I, I, I think a, a lot of what they wanted to go for was sort of there. They were just sort of, you know, they had no idea how what the nuances of what they were doing. Um, one of the greatest examples of that, I think, is the end mm. the end of "He Knows You Know," which is is kind of a ballsy song, and <laughs> and that little sort of outro with the ur, ur, "Don't give me your problems." It's just like, oh my god, really? Who thought that was a great idea? But you know, they mm-hmm. just they didn't. I liken it to, and Ken, you and I used to talk about this back in the day, the The first Nine Inch Nails album sounds a lot more gentle, if you will, than than his later stuff. And I think that was because he didn't know how to make it sound as aggressive as he, he wound up eventually. Um, I don't know. So, well, so the,
1: the, the terrible drum sound is... is- pretty consistent in script and Fugazi. And Ken, I didn't get to hear of everything that you said because I, uh, I was being distracted. Um, but no. I, I but what I did catch I, 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 is exactly when I, like, it all came together when I realized this weekend, wow, it's a different drummer. And then I started listening to Fugazi and I was like, okay, like, you can hear things starting to evolve in Fugazi. Particularly, I think, in the rhythm section, and um, and you know, clearly the 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 biggest jump in this whole segment is between Fugazi and Misplaced Childhood. Um, I mean, the oh, yeah. the difference, the difference across the board is unbelievable. But I think there's a really impressive, um, albeit subtle change in the whole feel of the band and the whole um like you said just that dynamic um pocket so to speak starting in Fugazi and, and starting to find itself um with the, with the whole uh, rhythm section.
0: Tom have you listened to either script or Fugazi ever?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> yes. I
0: uh, That's right. You're a uh, big you're I big. Fish you asked guy.
1: Me that. Um how dare you! How dare you!
0: I mean, I've never heard him speak of it. I just, I didn't know. I didn't well, mean to. Well, um,
2: Tom, I, Tom, when you talk about Marillion, I think, I think you should start from the dynamics. And, and you, you've explained to us driving down the road, adjusting the volume because the stuff is like almost not even mastered. It's just so dynamic, <laughs> and, and you, you love to listen to Marillion, but you have to do it when you can. Touch the volume knob. I've heard you say this before. <laughs> that's
3: well, not... that's that's the that's more Hogarth. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, back day, back in before, I actually somehow knew how to mix a record, um, where you didn't have to do that, or I should say, master uh, a record. Uh, you know, my. I, I think, I mean, and I, I would love to, I have to say, you know, I kind of feel like I'm in a high school. Uh, and I, I have to tell the teacher to do my own. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get chance of listening this past week. Uh, but I have, I do have, um, you know, clutching at straws in constant rotation um, in my, in my world. I mean, that's, I, I that, that is um, in the top three, you know, CDs of all time, really for me. I mean, I still um, love love that CD wow. as much now as I as I always have. Um, and what we um, and can I, I never have to adjust the volume on on that
0: record? <laughs> <laughs> good, good.
3: <laughs> on that CD, uh, well, and that, not know, to say I don't like you know the other CDs or whatever. I mean, I'm just saying. Um, but uh, I, I will say. Um, you know, I I think I'd probably have the same. Um,
0: I, I probably have the same. Uh, do eat Sophie's
3: chicken. It's for her. Okay, all right, sweetie. Jeez. Oh, so I got it. Um. Anyway, um. I probably have the same relationship with 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 script that you guys do. It's it's sort of a, or you know maybe any sort of early record that uh, of any of the bands that we like that isn't quite. Uh, you know, matured, but, um, you know, certainly um, it's it's not my favorite, but I, I appreciate it, you know, as you guys were saying, there's, there's elements to be appreciated, but um, one thing that sort of falls in the coil and the Soul Cages, you know, realm, I have to say, mm. still to this day, Misplaced Childhood sounds like a, a cheesy Phil Collins record to me.
1: Um, oh my they, 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 they,
3: goodness. I, I just, oh, it that was like, maybe not the whole thing. You know, but it's weird because you have, you have a clutching of straws, which is like up here in the stratosphere. And then you have misplaced childhood. It's like, well, well, what happened? I mean, I know it's, a, I know it's good, but I, I just, I have not, Felt it myself. What happened? So right. put, i put, probably put, listened to Fugazi more than Misplaced Childhood because I just I'm hearing Phil Collins when I when I hear Misplaced Childhood. Right. I, I don't know. Put, I, I don't. Put, put, it's just
0: put a pin in that.
3: We will we'll get there in just a
0: just a goodness. few minutes. I, I I want to move on to Fugazi, but but very quickly I do want to point out, and and we'll go through sort of set the stage, and then we'll go back and and kind of mix it all up. <laughs> one of the things about script that. I find f- humorous, is Forgotten Sons. It sort of sets Fish's um, habit, if you will, of putting in some overblown, overarching political commentary on the world song, which always seems somewhat out of joint with everything else. And, right. You know, and, and it's funny because he's good at it because I enjoy them all. But when you sit there and listen, think about them critically, you're like, what, what is that? You know, I, I don't know. It just. Uh... Yeah,
1: I, I, I would add two things to that. It, it sets up the, the precedent of in these first four albums that the worst song on every album is the last one.
0: The
3: last and, one. <laughs> and
1: I don't know how else to say it. Forgotten Sons just has not stood the test of time um, this go around. Yeah. I was able to get through it one time and after that I just I couldn't handle it anymore.
0: Now you were always fond of of garden party, were you not?
1: Yes, so I, I was really surprised. Um, I had it's been it had been so long since I listened to to this I, I couldn't even fathom the the title track in my head. And as soon as I started listening to it, I was like, oh yes. <laughs> and I couldn't I could not I couldn't get over how much um I enjoyed. Script, He Knows You Know, and Garden Party. The, those three songs, like I just had forgotten how much I really, really like those three songs. Just terrific.
0: Yeah. So so moving on then in, into Fugazi, which, you know, in a lot of ways is, I think, a sort of standard second album. It, it sort of builds a lot on the first um, in terms of, of what they were trying to do musically. You know, Fish was... I don't know. He seemed to be in a very angry and aggressive place. I mean, that that whole album is just not pleasant in terms of its tone. Um, you know, but it, it's, yeah. it it's, it's a step forward. It's not dramatic, you know?
2: I, I came up with the idea of the inverse fish because when he did the earlier albums he was very dark and bizarre and you were wondering like what this chap is like and then he gets beautiful and melodic and soft and all affectionate uh at the end of the four albums but that's apparently when they wanted to get rid of him so it's like like <laughs> i think there's an in- inverse relationship between his Real personality, which they started not to like, and his music personality, which actually got a lot nicer. So take that.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, and I remember Fugazi was the last of the first four that I, I purchased. And it was, it was probably the hardest for me to sort of get into. Once I did, I was totally on board. And, and again, nothing. For me, Fugazi will always be associated with the Marillion weekend in Holland. Because the the yes. the, the, the fact that I was out <laughs> in, in a public situation and hearing Fugazi playing was just like it, it was never was anything incredible. never anything I would have ever thought would happen. Um that was yeah. absolutely incredible, yeah.
1: I mean ten we're sitting we're sitting in like it, like the Marillion weekend was at this like vacation like like resort and they have these restaurants and bars that you can go to and it's all Marillion fans and we're sitting there sitting down to to like a a late afternoon meal and we're like ordering beers and all of a sudden over this over like the PA like the the stereo start assassin starts and we're just just sitting there going, is this assassin? Is that what we're listening to? It's unbelievable.
3: Well, and, and what a great and what was the song everyone started singing along? It was the it was Fugazi, I guess, or what's the um, oh God. what's the one with the really big chorus, the uh, the sort of anthem on there, and everybody was singing along, and the whole place was singing along. That's what I remember. Um, yeah, yeah, I
0: forget huh. the name. I think it was Fugazi,
1: I... probably. Yeah.
3: So it
0: was the one I just that-
1: remember assassing and thinking, I can't believe I'm hearing this. This is ridiculous.
0: What and what a great way to open an album, though. I mean, as 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 angry and and gnarly as it is, it's just like, oh yeah, it. You know, and and they started to get, you know, they started to figure out some of this this dynamic stuff in the music that they were trying to go for. And again, it's not, it's not fully formed. And apparently Tom seems to think it wasn't fully formed until clutching at straws. But, you know, again, Uh. you know, they were, they were young, they were starting out and they were trying to do something that, you know, wasn't particularly easy to do. I mean, if you think about, if you want to draw the parallel, think about the, the first two, Um, The first two Yes albums and then leading even into the Yes album itself, which was a tremendous step in the direction they finally went. But it it really wasn't until, you know, Fragile that they they really turned the corner and you're like, holy shit, what the hell is this? And, And really, one of the things that I've sort of thought as I've spent so many years listening to music is this idea that for a band that's really, really good or going to be good, that's probably going to manifest itself somewhere between albums three and four. It seems to mm. take that long to kind of get it together. Now that's if you're going to be a really, really good band. You know, there are a lot of bands that never quite get there, um, but that's just, that's my own sort of, of thinking at, the, at that point. And um, so if we if we roll into Misplaced Childhood, now, I've got a little bit of a story that I've got to, to, to add in here because for me, this, this was the start of everything in terms of Marillion for me. And it was funny. My, my brother, Dave went away to college and this, you know, this was back in the days of LPs and he came back, um, you know, whatever year that was, and he had misplaced childhood and I remember looking at it and I asked him specifically about that album. And he said, nah, that's too much. You, you really wouldn't enjoy <laughs> that at all. And I'm like, all
2: right. Oh, you're going to have to say that again. My
0: stuff. Oh. My, my audio is breaking up. Say that again. So, so Dave went away to college and came back with Misplaced Childhood, the, the vinyl record. And I was looking at it and... And I asked him about it. I'm like, you know, what's this record? And he's like, nah, you don't, you wouldn't like that. That's, that's really too much. So I didn't listen to it because I was, you know, what, probably, well, 15 or 16 at that point. And, but it was one of those things where it stuck in my head, you know, like if you open your dad's drawer and you see something you're not supposed to, and you're told you're not supposed to look at that and you just keep thinking about it. And... I went away to to Delaware and, you know, everyone, you guys know me, there are are really, really stupid things that sort of float my canoe. And so at Rainbow Records, which was the most spectacular record store in the world, you know, they just had, you know, the banks and banks of CDs and they had interesting things. One of the things they had, and, and again, this is incredibly stupid, but I was a very young man at that point they had a copy of of the live album from clutching at straws la gaza ladra and it was a yeah. two disc set but it was in two separate jewel cases and if you remember back at that time the, the dual disc sets came in those big fat hunkin you know one thing and i just thought that was the coolest thing in the world because i knew this band the the cover art was cool and there were it was two separate jewel cases. And so for whatever reason, that got into my head and I, I couldn't get past these two things and they just kind of rattled around in my, in my brain literally for a year and a half. So in my sophomore year, um, I was living at, at, a, at a place and at the winter break, my roommate moved out. So in the spring semester, I was in this double room all by myself. And it was, it was sometime in the spring. It was a beautiful day. I was walking home from class. And I stopped at Rainbow Records on the way. And I said, this is the day. And I bought Misplaced Childhood. Now, I guess I have to back up here because there was one other aspect that had been rattling around in my head. And that was the Kaylee video. I had actually seen it once. Just once. But I had seen it. And, and the thing that stuck with me about that, and I don't know if you guys remember this video at all, the very, very first shot of that is they're looking at Rothery's little motley collection of Boss effects pedals. And I was so juiced because I was like, dude, that's what the guys have. And so you know, all of this was rattling around in my head. So anyway, this, this spring day comes and I'm like, I'm buying it. And I, you know, I had nothing else to do that afternoon. And I go into my room and I, it's one of those things I can see the scene just absolutely clearly. It was this beautiful day. I had the shades open. There was sunlight all over the room. And I put in this CD and the opening of Pseudo Silk Kimono comes on and it was nothing at all like what I was expecting. And I was like, what is this? And, you know, the whole damn thing just rolls halfway through the album before it even stops. And I was just, I I was (laughs) freaking fried at that point because I'm like, holy crap. (laughs) And, and that was, at that point, I was hooked, you know, even, and I didn't hear any Phil Collins, Tom, but, you know, whatever. So, so that was, (laughs) that was what kind of got me into the whole Marillion thing. It was, it was that. I can't even explain to you why I bought it. It's, it's like when I first, um, I bought the first Toad that way. I bought the first Dada that way. It was just, I was in a record store and I'm like, I'm going to buy this. Well, that turned out to be good. And um, yeah, so that was uh, that was my deal with, with Misplaced
3: Childhood. That
1: is a beautiful story.
0: It,
3: uh... That is a beautiful so story. I'm, I'm, I'm just curious with um, the, the three of you. Where do these four CDs rank from one to four with all of you guys?
0: <laughs> I would probably, if, if you put a gun to my head and told me to, to rank them, I would rank them in reverse chronological order, starting at clutching at straws and going backwards.
3: All right. What about you? What about you, Paul?
1: Yeah, for me, I'm I think I have to give um I have to give the edge to misplaced childhood. Um it over, may be over clutching at straws, really? Yeah, over over clutching at straws. I, it really? may be because like Joe, it was it was my introduction to the band, it was the the gateway to it all. Um it's the but gateway I would say album. clutching yeah, clutching at straws is a very, very close second um Almost, almost its equal, and then Fugazi, and then script.
2: Ken? Okay. I'm much more in the Joe camp. Um, you know, th- 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 there are just melodies, slant maha, um, that I just can't get out of my head. Where, you know, I, I listen to Clutching Warm, Wet Circles. It- it- it's-, it- it's amazing. You know, it really stays with me. And I don't get that from anything else in the trilogy. You know, there are really big and fuzzy moments, but they're moments. You know, it's not like really gelling me in. Uh, Like Grendel has this huge, big swell at the end and I get into it. But, you know, I'll take I'll take anything off of clutching before that so i I would be like i, I would rate um I, I would rate clutching a ten and I would give everything else like a five on a scale of one to ten
0: a five hmm. really
1: wow
2: man man they're there they're good they're good but 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 they they well, i I think it's because Ian Mosley really hit his groove on clutching i I think it's just you know when he sits back and he does his thing and he plays with you he's not doing too much and then he pounds it in your face that's he. yeah well they, I
0: mean, they, I, they got i do think that by clutching they had really figured out what it was that they wanted to do and yeah you know, honestly and it's funny because i've been listening to these albums a lot a lot the last two weeks and in a lot of respects not only is Clutching the, the 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 pinnacle of these four in terms of of the music, but Fish really was on his game with the lyrics. Um, and that mm-hmm. being said, one of the things, and, and you know, we'll get there. Uh, that I've found though is there there's a certain aspect in, in certain places of Clutching where the whole. You know, woe is me. The world is oppressing me, kind of thing wears thin on me, and I find it almost unseemly. But, but that being said, there there are so many aspects in that particular album where the the lyrics just freaking floor me. Um. But before we go there, I I do I do want to sort of stay on misplaced childhood quickly and and. <laughs> just i got to say and and tom maybe this maybe this is part of your beef with this album as good as it is the ending just confuses the crap out of me it's like what is this <laughs> you know we're, we're 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 talking about you know childhood love and and finding solace and hookers and booze. And then all of a sudden we're like, we're peace loving people. What? Where where the hell did that come from? You know, it's just like, and I think that's the major flaw with, with misplaced childhood. It just, you know, they, they took such a big step forward and they couldn't bring it home. And, and I think that's more lyrically than musically, but you know, it's just, it's just just weird.
1: It's funny. We've, we've talked about that a lot. Um Joe in the past, and you know, sort of the fundamental difference, you know, between misplaced childhood and brave is that you know, they actually could end brave um, at the same level as the rest of it. But this go around listening to it, the ending of misplaced childhood did not really um, strike me as bad as it ever had in the past. like I it was it was palatable and I really? and I was like, okay, like it, it is it is almost like, they got a little nervous at the end and they said hey let's make this sound like a genesis song um just in case we need a hit um it is it's is, it's sort of it's sort of like oh, overtly happy in the guitar riff department which we don't really hear again until holidays of eden and <laughs> and it's unusual but the thing that struck me odd was you know, at the end he's talking about, "Hey, the only thing misplaced was direction and I found direction. There is no childhood's end." And it's like this real positive like everything's going to be okay. And then he turns around and writes an entire album about being addicted to alcohol and drugs. <laughs> I mean,
0: <laughs>
1: So it's just kind of funny when you listen to it all together, you know?
0: Yeah, that that's that's certainly true. Um, but but I, I there were two things
1: that you guys were talking through that, that I thought of, because I drove to Rochester on Saturday and I listened to all four of these back to back all the way through. Wow. And, and the thing that kind of struck me and you, and you guys were, we kind of talking about this just a few minutes ago where it seemed like and through the first two albums and knowing that, you know, Grendel had been a B side and, you know, they were just, they seemed to be, sort of obsessed with the progressive part of music being long right all the, these these tracks have to be long we have to stuff more into the songs and and they were figuring it out in the first two albums and they were they were getting there they were getting really good good with it and misplaced childhood they they i remember listening to a bootleg when they before they recorded it and they performed like the first half and they really were trying to write two two sides of our of an album and they really, really did. I thought they did just a spectacular job. And for me, the energy in Misplaced Childhood is so much better. And, and the lyrics are just like, it's, it's probably the one album that without even having the album on, I could probably start singing it and just recite the entire lyric at, at, through the whole, the whole thing but then after they did misplaced childhood it's almost like they had figured it out okay we've written written you know the two track album now we can just get to the business of 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 and they'd figured it out and they wrote songs that had all of the goodness of long progressive songs and sometimes they were long and sometimes they were short they they just had they had figured it out and that's the that's the piece that that makes clutching at straws so amazing for me i think that the reason it falls short, as far as my number one of the four, can be expressed by the phrase "oozy's on a street corner."
0: <laughs>
1: all right, all right,
2: we'll give you that. <laughs> so true.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's a, a, yeah. a, a certainly a, a valid a valid statement, and you know that that does take us to clutching at straws, which. You know, here, here again, I had, I hey, had sort Joe, of this... Joe, I'm... yeah, go ahead,
1: really quick. I'm sorry. So Tom, we know that clutching at straws is obviously your number one on this, uh, in this uh, four. But did you tell us which, which were the uh, yeah. good
3: point. Two, three, and four? Um, I, I would say second would be uh, Fugazi, third misplaced childhood, and then you know uh, script. But you know. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I really do, I really do enjoy them all. My my one thought, you know, just looking back at these four CDs, what amazes me is that um, they they came out in the early '80s, and if you look at, I mean, when you look at what we think of. As progressive rock, of course, we have to go back to the '70s, and we have all right. What makes progressive rock? We have um, a very, very descriptive lyrics, poetic in a in a, in a in a different way that we don't we don't hear uh, pop songs. We have the length of a song. We have um, you know what 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 they're playing. I mean, we we and um, really, <clears throat> I mean, these four CDs. <clears throat> Um, really are incredible in the fact that um, you know they're they're really uh, just just a thought here, but it's really sort of like the last leg of the progressive rock era. Um, if you if you take into account um, that's, I mean, of course there was like you know like the '90s Dream Theater or whatever. I don't know if you would call that progressive rock, but I mean I mean um, or Iron Maiden, for, 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 for that matter. But, I mean, that's, that's metal. You know, I mean, I, I don't consider Iron Maiden progressive rock. I think of it as metal. I, and I'm just throwing this out there. I haven't really even really uh, thought about this. But uh, I I would argue um, that, you know, I'm really in my, or that, this phase. Um, and I say this phase because I, I really don't consider hogarth era as progressive rock i love it i'm not i'm not saying that as a slight or you know or anything else but um i, I know they have their concept album uh, you know brave or whatever but i still don't really think of them as a progressive rock band uh and I, again what? i'm not it's not uh, <laughs> a it's not a bust on the band i'm I re- i'm really i'm not I'm, I, I just that's I next don't have that's,
1: two, week week. that's, had, that's have two, two weeks from now
0: you
3: you have to be on in now. two weeks tom that's right well, listen, it's the same band. We're going to have a little bit of a crossover here. <laughs> uh, but I I, 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 uh, I, think of, you know, the Fish era Marillion as almost like the last progressive rock band. I mean, uh, and uh, you guys will probably come up with something. I'll be like, oh, yeah, you're right. There was something in, you know, the 80s. Or, you know, Genesis had kind of had to bleed over into the, you know later years or whatever but i mean even if you know i wouldn't i wouldn't um i would not say that invisible touch was a progressive rock uh you know album i mean uh, that era of genesis wasn't progressive rock you know you, there's well, I, i'm not and, mm-hmm.
0: and 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 i i get what you're saying tom because when you know and, invariably you wind up in the conversation of what's your favorite band and i say marillion and they look at me like what the hell's marillion and, and right. I've, I've described them as, you know, second generation progressive rock, which totally confuses people because they're like, uh, <laughs> why, why am I talking to this guy? But, <laughs> you know, but but to me that, you know, that's exactly why I call them that, because you're absolutely right. You know, they weren't they weren't the King Crimson's. They weren't the yeses. They weren't the, the Genesis's of of the, the 70s. They weren't, you know, the Rushes or, or God help us, even the Kansas's. They, you know, they came in after those guys had established sort of the genre and everything else. They, they, they were related to that, but they, they clearly weren't that. And, and the, the funny thing is, is, you know, if, if someone pegged me and said, well, what are some other second generation progressive rock bands? I would be flummoxed to come up with some, to be we're honest. Flummoxed. Yeah. It's, it's an SAT word. <laughs> yeah. So, but but you know, I, I totally I totally get what you're saying. Um, you know, now again, I, I would probably take issue that you know they stopped being that when uh, when Hogarth took over. But again, that's that's for two weeks from now.
1: Yeah, you know what's just as a side as you're talking through that, I I went ahead and searched the uh, Billboard 200 from 1983, the year that Script was released, and um, if anything. It is even more a damnation of the horrible snare sound that's on script when you look at things that are on the list here, like Pyromania and uh, and uh, Journey's Frontier, which you can argue all you want whether you like that or not, but you can't deny the the brilliance of the snare sound of of, of those. But interestingly, <laughs> um, and 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 Tom, this I think is a little bit to your point. Um, Pink Floyd's Final Cut. In, in the first week of June of 1983, is uh, at um, number 12 on the Billboard 200. And so when you think about, like, The Final and Floyd, really? For all intents and purposes, are past their prime now in 1983. And, um, and, and yeah, I mean, Jen, I think Phil Collins, one of his solo albums happens to be on the list. Toto 4 is on this list. Go and listen to the snare sound of Rosanna and compare that. to um to to script jane fonda's workout records on this list as well which is strange but
0: of course it is
1: but yeah it's a great it's it's an amazing when you think about that in context with what was going on at that time like it's a it's 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 really brilliant i think it's brilliant Mm -hmm. that they were creating that in the midst of all this other stuff
0: so yeah so i you know we 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 kind of got into this you know overarching thing, but I, I do want to go back and and deal a little bit specifically with clutching at straws. And and for me, you know, I, I've as I've been listening to this, you know, again with with this in mind, you know, I've been, I've been trying to really think about this, you know, a little bit more critically and perhaps less emotionally, because a lot of times when I put on these albums, I, I literally just Kind of let go and, and enjoy the ride where it takes me um you know and and to ken's point you know kind of relaxing through the the quiet parts and getting all ramped up in the uh in the the uh the emotional parts and, and everything else and and you know i love the fact that that they do that and you know and like i said fish's fish's lyrics in this are just phenomenal and and this isn't the the greatest one but one that literally just will pop into my head in the middle of the workday as I'm walking down the hall for no reason. And it happens to me all the time is doctor says my liver looks like leaving with my lover. I just, you know, (laughs) just like, really? That's okay, That's great. But when you get into this and, and the opening suite of this hotel hobbies, warm, wet circles and that time of the night, Oh my God. I mean, they could have just stopped right there. And I've been like, all right, thanks. Appreciate it guys. Yeah. And And one of the things that is so amazing about that is that is, you know, one of the, one of the fish era, you know, sets of music that Hogarth actually pulls off live, which is, you know, that's always kind of a tenuous thing when you've got, you know, new singer doing old stuff and everything else. But for that, it, it really works. Um, you know, and then some of the other parts of it get, you know, white Russian, really? Why? Why? You know? And I guess...
1: it's it's That's a great song. It just gets a little bit overbearing. I want to I want to make a parody of it and I want to and I want to use the phrase smoothies on a street corner and, and make it more family ah. friendly. friendly.
0: <laughs> nice. I like that. Sorry. No, no, I you know and and you know like I said torch song and and slunch you know I, there are parts to that I love um When, oh, there's a bit in there when they're like, um, and when you reach the point of grave creation and they ask you to tell them the story so far, and I don't remember which Mm -hmm. one that's in, I think that might be in that time of the night, but it's just, you know, it, it, and again, there are just these moments in there where, where fish has it, but at the same time, there are some of these things where you're just like, dude, get over yourself, you know? Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know where I'm going with this other than the fact that I've, I've you know, really, really enjoyed listening to this. Um, and, and I guess one of the things in that opening suite that, that I was thinking about today is, you know, the phrase warm, wet circles and, and the, the there's like three or four different contexts for that in that opening suite. And, and he's kind of just exploring you know, this this whole range of potential misery in life. And you're just like, whoa, okay, maybe I should just jump off the building. (laughs) And of course we all know where eventually he ends up, but um, I I just, you know, I, I think it's great. And then, but then there are these things that just don't fit in, you know, white Russian, incommunicado, good fun, but kind of, you know, off, off the, uh, off the overall scope, if you will. And and I always thought of this, you know, like, and again, when we got back into this, you know, we were young and we were, you know, full of crazy ideas and, and, you know, I was, you know, thrilling at the idea of, of, you know, the, the, the two song album and everything else. And Misplaced Childhood was clearly, you know, a concept album. Oh, a concept album. We love those. How heady. And and this was like the you know the semi concept album. There were there were areas that were connected, and then there were some things that just didn't seem to fit in. But you know whatever. I, I I think it's funny when I was looking at the the Wikipedia thing for this. There's there's a description in here. The album has received critical acclaim. It was listed in Q magazine's 50 best recordings of the year. <laughs> it's been just described by All Music as a quote unquote masterpiece. And Rolling Stone placed it. This is uh, Clutching. Oh, okay. And Rolling Stone placed it at number 37 in its countdown of the 50 greatest prog rock albums of all time. So there you go. <laughs> the other oh, wow. thing that, you know, and, and we were talking about this at the top of all of this, um, you know, obviously this was the end of Fish. And I don't know if you guys have the, the remastered extended version. Um, yeah. Now, mm-hmm. And I specifically, you know, didn't necessarily want to set these discussions up to cover a lot of this extra material. But in this case, it's fascinating to hear, you know, because they have a a bunch of, of tracks that they had recorded with Fish before he left. And so to hear the music of what became Berlin with the lyrics of what became Fish's family business it's the weirdest thing to be like what (laughs) How how does that happen and it's it's fascinating to kind of see you know where they were going or trying to go and and you know eventually and we'll cover this in the future where they where they both ended up sort of without each other but it was uh it's it's a fascinating sort of of um of look into you know that kind of a situation so if if you guys haven't had the opportunity to hear some of those extra tracks i would i would recommend going and and hunting them out um because it's it's just it's fascinating
1: some of them are funny too because i i do have the The remastered uh, edition on Spotify, and some of the tracks are really funny because, for the most part, the music seems very well produced. Yeah. But the demo of Fish singing on it—it's like it's the, its like him sit, sitting in his basement singing into a boombox. <laughs>
3: <laughs> really?
1: Like the vocal has no treatment whatsoever. Yeah. It's pretty nothing.
3: funny. So, to you guys, I'm going to slightly get off the topic, but you had brought up uh, buying a CD. I'm just curious because I've been going through this sort of music crisis over the past, you know, however many years. I still love having CDs. Amen, brother. Something. Yes, it could be just plastic and paper with print on it, but it's just I I like having it. But I'm having a crisis because you know I just bought a new car and they don't even have it. You know, you buy a new car, there's you know then there's no CD player in them anymore <laughs> <I'm not serious. laughs> without completely going. That's really, I just, and it was, you know, there's no CD uh, players in uh, uh, new cars, but I, I'm just curious, do you guys without going on a, you know, completely off topic, do you guys still buy CDs or have you totally gone the whole iTunes and, you know, whatever route? Well, um, I got a
2: new car and I didn't know for a year that it had a CD player. It's <laughs> hidden behind this thing. <laughs> and Eddie uh, <laughs> and I were like, "Wait, what, 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 what is this? <laughs> what is this? Yeah, <laughs> <It> looks old." <laughs> well,
0: so yeah. And 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 Paul and I were talking about this a couple of months ago. You know, because I, I sort of confessed to him that that I am digitally adverse when it comes to my music and he's like oh really and we were discussing back at the trip to the lake house when ken was like the early adopter of, of digital music and he had his his laptop with all his his tunes on there we were sitting down on the back porch and discussing the uh the virtues or lack thereof of digital music
1: we were we were listening to marillion actually on <laughs> on his laptop and i, we I thought this is so weird <laughs>
0: Everything comes through We're listening
1: to this on a computer.
0: So, so yeah, right. I mean, I, you know, there are certain things, Tom, that that I have that I've bought digitally, simply because it's, you know, I'm I'm too old to go running all over the world trying to find a CD at this point. So, like when I got into the whole Blackfield thing, which would be an interesting sort of uh. sidetrack someday. Um, you know, it was just easier to download them and have them on my phone. But if you look at at the music that I have bought digitally, that's available on my my phone, it's a very very odd sort of mixture, and it it there's there's no sort of continuity to it, and it's it's just very strange, because I would much rather like you. I mean, I'm literally when I when I travel. You know, if I'm going to get a rental car or something, I'm going to hope that it has a CD player. And I still got my own, my little thing and I'll load up six or eight CDs and and go for it. In fact, I had to find my Clutching at Straws was in that little, that little folder thingy. Because the last time I traveled to Pennsylvania, I listened to that and Marbles and something else. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's what I kind of, kind of enjoy, but.
3: Hmm. yeah so i i, I'm, I would i'm an I, addict I,
0: I... sorry
1: i'm an addict of spotify i don't know if you can see that yeah that coming through but mm-hmm. i i do everything on spotify including my marillion playlist with the first four albums of marillion nice, nice.
0: well
3: and so
1: that's how i get them all all together and listen to them on the car ride and all i have to do is worry about my cell phone not running out of out of uh, battery, and if you guys are on Spotify, I could share the list with you, and you would you just have to push play. So there you yep. go. I, I'm the thing that I miss about CDs is is um getting in home, uh, opening up the the liner notes, and reading it from cover to cover when I'm listening to the to the record for the first time, and reading all the ins and outs about it. Um. That's the that's the piece that I miss about you. You don't get that when you when you're on the computer, or on your phone, and, and listening to music. But um, that's it's just the sad part is is I never usually sit down just to listen anymore. I'm always listening while I'm driving to work or driving to hockey or doing something else. And so, uh, that's that's the piece I miss about music.
3: So the the question is, and tying this back into Marillion would any would uh, so the three of you would you if you were going to buy a new Marillion CD or a, 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 sorry if you were to buy new Marillion music their latest release would you go on racket records and get a CD or would you get it digitally and I, I bring that up because, To me, there's a difference between buying music from a band like Marillion and maybe, you know, buying some sort of new release of a new band. And would you guys differentiate between the two? Would you guys download the last Marillion um, CD on Spotify or iTunes or whatever and then just completely surpass the DVD?
1: So for me, it's all of the above for me, Tom. I pre-ordered it from Racket Records when they first said they were going to do it. I got like, I don't think I I didn't order any of the special bells and whistles. I just bought like the regular CD. Um, And then by doing that, they sent me the free download for it. So before I received the CD in the mail, they sent me a link to download all the tracks, which I did. And then, and then, just for my convenience' sake, I down I have it saved on Spotify as well. Wow! So all okay. of the above. Wow! But yeah,
3: okay. that's that's interesting. But, so, and, and they did send you the the CD, and you were able to.
1: Yeah, you were. Yeah. To
3: and 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 read the liner notes and and all that. Yes,
1: have I done <laughs> that? No, but I do have it <laughs> if I, I ever want to.
0: <laughs> 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 See, and, and and it was a shame because I had you know. I, it, it, and it's funny when you talk about Marillion, because I haven't been excited about a release since Marbles, And, you know, I went up to Philly to see Marillion in November. Paul and I had bought those tickets in February of last year, so a full, you know, nine months before the show. Um, and I, I just... I hadn't really thought about the album and it was it was like a week or two before i was getting ready to go up there and i'm like oh crap i need to get this album so i didn't really have time to order the physical copy so i just did the download and 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 listen to it that way so i feel you know a little you know like i'm missing something but you know desperate times call for desperate measures
2: um, I'm in the same boat as Paul, uh, with the Spotify. Um, but certainly not with the, <laughs> I'm not doing any pre-order or anything. Um, but I'm hooked on Spotify for the convenience. Um, it does concern me that the royalties aren't so hot in those services. I'm sure they're taking a real beating, you know, uh, so yeah, I, I, I feel better having gone to the concert and having supported Marillion materially by buying a ticket. And I'm sure it would be that much better, you know, to get the disc. Haven't done it, but I, I, I'm all in favor of that. You know, if you want to show your support, that's probably the best way to do it.
1: Yeah. I mean I think most I think most bands, whether you're Marillion or you're a new band starting out. Um, or, you know, if you're a band like, um, the Foo Fighters, you're probably making the bulk of your money from touring. Um, oh,
3: uh, absolutely.
1: And like, so like when I see bands, so I saw a band, I, gosh, I can't even remember the name of them and I'm, and it's terrible. Uh, they opened for Kings X. And, um, when I just saw them at the end in November, and they they were cool they were they were young they were hungry they were they played a great set and i've never listened to the cd once but i i went on the break and i bought their cd just to you know support them because you know i don't know how much they're getting for playing a show you know at the sellersville theater with king's x you know but i gave them 15 bucks just to you know just to you know hope Hope to help him out a little bit, you know, as much as I'm, as much as I'm, you know, can in that situation. Um, and then the other, the other artist that I was buying CDs was uh, Stephen Wilson because I saw him live and I hadn't had any of his CDs. And he doesn't stream; he wouldn't stream things on Spotify or anything. So the only way you could do it was buying stuff on Amazon or um, iTunes. And I just, I simply don't do iTunes anymore. I just, I don't even. It's, I don't. I don't use Apple products like phones or iPads, so it just doesn't. It doesn't really suit me. Um,
2: iTunes got too complicated. I, I was an iTunes adopter, and I stuck with it for a long time, and I converted my stuff. I ripped it in iTunes, uh, but it got to a point where I switched computers, and they started making changes, and they alienated me. They they made it too difficult. So yeah. yeah yeah, if I had to digitize the music, I would not use
1: iTunes this go around. Yeah, so you know, so I bought oh. Stephen Wilson albums, and um, and now he's come around to streaming. So now I've got all his stuff on Spotify, which is so much better because my car is no different than it was when I was in college. <laughs> oh dear! Um, except instead of instead of unmarked TDK um, cassettes, it's cds everywhere so now i don't have cds all over my car because they're all on my phone
0: there you go um that being said you know ultimately um this podcast will hopefully be available on itunes so (laughs) there's that oh no (laughs) we'll uh we'll sort that out later not a big deal all right. So we we've uh we've clocked in here just about an hour, which is kind of where I wanted to be. Um so yeah. with with on that note, um any any sort of last thoughts on on this first uh, segment uh of Merlion?
2: Um I I I I meant to talk about Rothree and his arc, but you know, in in between yeah, but... the four albums, it was an amazing shift and he finally yeah. Found his footing somewhere in misplaced and definitely definitely by clutching, and that deserves a mention you know I mean we can get back to his playing in in, in the next podcast, but I, yeah, I feel bad for not mentioning Rothery a lot sooner because yeah. he 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 was a true success story in that arc
1: yeah dude, I totally love that that comment because because the the thing is that I think particularly. In in clutching like we hear like who Stephen Rothery is like for the rest of Marillion <laughs> like it is it's just brilliant and um and the other thing that I think really it, it it was it was present all along but it really started to come into to real genius and just maybe not genius but it just became it started to become more seamless in in um, Misplaced Childhood, but then in Clutching at straws, completely seamless it is just the interplay between um, Rothery and Mark Kelly. The, the keyboards and guitars together are just magnificent in, in clutching. And I think that continues on in, in the
0: later albums, still. Well, and, and I think that will be an interesting thing as we sort of go through the rest of the catalog, because you know i made the, the, the statement at the beginning of this that you know there are a lot of the elements were already in place at script even if they didn't know how to do them and and sort of by clutching you're you're right they they, they established what marillion is and was and, and they've really managed to maintain that you know with slight variations throughout and playing with tone this and, and whatever else but you know it, it's 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 amazing how how much of that remains sort of constant without getting boring you know because i and, and and again we'll get there when we get there but you know i can think of you know there are there are certainly aspects you know in a lot of the later albums that that sort of make you they hearken back to clutching at straws or, or misplaced childhood in in some way or another but it's not in a way that's you know offensive or boring or whatever else but it's it's there and I think it's cool
1: yeah
0: what what I do find fascinating about this is that being said how much of the character of of these four albums is really driven by fish and his worldview and his lyrics and his voice and his delivery and how you know while the music fundamentally stays, the same or similar how different everything is once you put a new singer in that. And, and, you know, the, the thing that, that always boggles my mind when I think about us and Marillion is by the time we got into it, Fish was gone. Yeah, We missed all of this and, you know, we kind of live vicariously through these albums and everything else, but, you know, we never even had the chance to, to, you know to see fish perform with the band and i would have you know now looking back you know it would have been fantastic if we'd had had that opportunity but you know uh, you know and and again we'll we'll talk about the story about the discovery of the new singer um in the next episode (laughs) because that's that's one of those things that that i find you know funny about all of this because i find myself as as a young man to be just freaking hilarious (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: well um i that's that's i think that's really interesting joe and i wanted to just add real quick uh, three cheers for chris kimsey for um mixing and and mastering misplaced childhood so that there is at least one Merillion album that you can listen to without keeping your hand on the volume control i do believe that
3: that, uh, i do think
1: yeah i think clutching at straws Clutching at straws is the 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 first two albums. They're just they're just you know they're just not produced great. The Clutching at straws is the beginning. It's the dawn of the mastering problems with uh, Marillion's albums. So that we took a brief hiatus on Seasons End, etc. But but I think that was the first symptom. I mean the the very first of the first suite. It's like. You know, it's oh like God. I have it's oh like God. I have the volume cranked and all of a sudden the drums come in. And I'm like, oh hold on.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I can't I, I can't wait for the next episode because that obviously that whole that whole subject is gonna be very, very important.
1: Yeah. But but Kimsey uh, did an awesome job. I think, you know, that was the other piece that was really missing to Marillion. In the studio was someone who could really capture them correctly and and present their sound in a a very, um, in in a way that was probably more. um, Well, it it, it was just better. It was just
0: better. Sure. Did has anyone looked? Did did Chris Kimsey do anything else besides these two of note?
1: I I I can check. check.
0: I, I meant to no, look but and I, I, I didn't.
1: Let's see here.
3: Hey guys, I gotta take this moment to. Uh, I gotta call my client. I got really yeah. Gotta you go. you you gotta call um, your client. <laughs> yeah. Cut cut him a deal. <laughs> he's uh he's at the Starbucks waiting to uh, finish this film, and.
2: Uh, <laughs> okay. Gotta,
3: uh, but listen, you guys rock. Um, Mucho, you, you rock. rock. Um, you know what, I, I, uh, we really, I, I really feel like, um, would may, we can maybe do like, uh, some sort of epilogue or addendum at some point, um, because I am, uh, after we, uh, maybe not write the second, but, uh, sometime soon I'm going to revisit these four, um, CDs and, um, I want to sort of, uh, chat with them again uh you know chat with you guys about them again absolutely yeah we can because um you know it's you know it's it's a fun thing so we'll 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 have plenty
0: of fantastic guys this 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 honestly worked out exactly as i hoped it would so i really appreciate you know you guys taking the time tom i appreciate you uh you know kind of forgetting about your client for (laughs) a little bit
1: (laughs) yeah your client tom all
3: right all right we'll talk to you my friend all right. Hey Ken, it was great seeing you, brother. Uh, it's 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 been a while. We will long uh, see time again soon. <laughs>
1: all right. Peace
2: all out. T-
3: all right, take Peace care. Guys. All right. Peter dude. All right. What do, we, what do
0: we find out about Chris Kimsey?
1: Chris Kim Chris Kimsey is all over. He's all over the place, man. He's everywhere. Um so the list goes on and on. Peter Frampton. Um The Rolling Rolling Stones, Stones. Um, Doc Holliday, Joan Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, The Cult, we did did some tracks for them. Really? Uh, The Weird Science soundtrack. Oh, no. Um, Psychedelic Furs, one of our favorites. The Escape Club's Wild Wild West, which is a fantastic track.
0: Get out of town.
1: Uh, And he actually... uh, Oh, we did something for Duran Duran. Duran Duran, and he actually did my favorite, some of my favorite tracks from the Anderson Awakeman and Howe album. Um,
2: oh, oh, oh. oh, you guys made me go to
1: that. <laughs> 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 oh, that's awesome! And uh, yeah, all the, and then he's, you know, he's done the Chieftains, Billy Squire, Gypsy King. So he's he did he did um um i I want to say he did um internal Internal exile Exile by fish Fish as well well, i believe
0: i think i think maybe you're right um which you know like i said we've got to add in a fish episode um i think fish has enough albums we could probably do two or three but certainly the his first set of albums needs to be uh, covered and chris kimsey producing internal exile is is a fascinating part of that um, mm. if if that's actually the case so
1: yeah, and so um I believe it is and I will just add that um, Christopher Kenneth Kinsey born in nineteen fifty one in Battersea London, he actually did a lot of work with the Rolling Stones co-producing some of the stuff, but he was uh, an engineer on sticky fingers which is my favorite rolling Stones album so just as a side note sweet great stuff yeah
2: all right oh yes yeah yes, yes in a word
0: oh okay in a word was um one of the box sets that came out late in the career
1: yeah wow
2: yeah, right on. Yeah, this guy is uh, pretty impressive. Okay.
0: All right, very good. Awesome. He's legit. He's legit. He even worked for Tom Jones. Well, there you go. <laughs> what are you going to do? Are we recording a video of this too, Joe? I believe that I am. I'll let you know when we're done if it was successful oh. or not so that we can. I'll make sure, I'll make sure can, I get a haircut uh, the next time We can the next uh, one. We can put it up on our YouTube channel. Yeah, And uh, so everyone, eventually when these get put out, and again, I'm hoping to get a couple in the can before we start putting them out there, um, people will be able to get them, certainly on iTunes. I'm not sure where else we need to put these things. Um, we will hopefully have the video available on YouTube. We have our Instagram account. Hopefully we'll get a uh, a Facebook page and maybe a Twitter. I don't know. Paul's our director of social media, so... I gotta get, I
1: gotta get, get started, started on that. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got sidetracked. I got sidetracked when I started trying to come up with a logo and a and, a, and a pictures.
0: Logo. Listen to this guy.
1: Yeah, you know one something else that yeah, I really wanted to add, and I and I forgot to. So we talked a little bit about. Um, we talked a little bit about um, Nick Pointer. And you know the the problems with the drums on on script, and and I I felt bad because I, I you know I feel like Fish was kind of a dick to him when they kicked him out of the band, um, based on what I was reading, and so I went in. So Mick Pointer has like he's got his own progressive rock band, and actually if you search, if you search him on on Wikipedia he's credited not only being with a progressive being a progressive rock drummer but also being a um a uh very well known kitchen designer apparently in um in the UK and and so he has his own band called Arena and um it's extremely pro- prolific they, they they must have like 10 or 11 albums so uh while I was up in Rochester this weekend I I while I was going through and reading a, a, about a lot of this I uh, popped one of the arena albums on and listened to it. And it was, it, it was, was um, it was fine. was fine. It was not nothing, nothing, nothing special, but um, just wanted to give McPointer his due before we ended tonight. Yeah. yeah. I actually went
2: to YouTube and I streamed the Pointer band and they were yeah. covering, you know, uh, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know how you could have a tribute band with, just one marillion album but (laughs) i mean eventually you'd break down and like play beautiful or something you know you would like i don't know but no but um yeah 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 i mean they 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 did a really good job they just play that album over and over again they probably play once a year to the same people and they do a good job that's
0: great yeah yeah all right so um so i i think we we've uh done what we set out to do in terms of this. Um, like I said I hope I hope that uh, that this looks and sounds decent because I think um, I think this was exactly what we were going for. and um, I certainly look forward to to doing the rest. certainly, you know I, I you know, we've we've got a schedule that takes us you know through this time next year and there are still a bunch of things that I know that we need to put on there. so um, yeah. This is fantastic, gentlemen. So we hope you have enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. Um, Again, look for additional episodes in the future. Um, And keep in mind that around episode five, the technical difficulties go away in their entirety. And so um, hopefully you'll stick with us. Again, you can find us on... Facebook at Progressive Palaver, you can find us on Instagram at Progressive Palaver, and you can email us at progpala, P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and, um, you know, if you like what you heard, please, um, you know, give us reviews on, um, on the various outlets, which will allow us to show up on searches and whatnot. And we look forward to bringing you many, many, many more episodes of Progressive Palaver. Thank you.